everyone, I'm Brandon Odo. And I'm Brian Bowling. And this is Critical Care Scenarios, the podcast where we use clinical cases, narrative storytelling, and expert guests to unpack how critical care is practiced in the real world. Hey everyone, it is Brandon Odo back with another Turbo. I want to talk about some medical education today. I want to talk about offering didactic content um, in the form of, of lectures or talks or presentations, the kind of thing that you do a lot of if you are involved in education, whether it's to um, a group of people at your institution, whether it's at a conference, um, whatever the format may be. We've all sat through this, certainly, when we were being taught in school or wherever, um, and many of us are now providing it. But I think it's no surprise to anyone that a lot of this is not very good. And there are a lot of variables that go into that, just as there are a lot of ways that education can be not good. Um, but when it comes to the traditional lecture or presentation, um, I think there are ways you can do it better, which are relatively straightforward, but people are, just don't always think about it. Now, the first thing you might say is that this is just um, not the best way to teach. And this has been a topic that's really bubbled to the top of the pedagogical world in the you know, past 10 years or so. You know, How can we do less of this sage-on-the-stage kind of lecturing? Um, and that's a, a very fair perspective. I think for a lot of things, this is not the best way to teach. Um, however, there are times it's necessary and important. Um, you know, one of the things that's very in vogue is when you give presentations, rather than, you know, the PowerPoint with lots of bullets and kind of talking through facts, it's more like the, you know, the, the TED Talks, which, I mean, gosh, TED Talks are kind of a, a dying thing, but it's become kind of a format, you know, someone on a stage, kind of minimal visuals and slides, but very engaging, more about concepts and, and emotions and, and motivational and inspirational topics, maybe with one or two, you know, takeaway teaching points at most. It works great for that. And it's a very engaging format. So people like participating in it. However, it really works best for content that is, is more about that big picture or emotional stuff. Um, if you have a lot of denser content to communicate, it just doesn't work that well for them. Now, again, you might say, maybe you shouldn't teach this in this format. People should read about it instead. So people are using this kind of flipped classroom model where you have a lot of the learning done by learners outside on their own asynchronously. They do some reading or watch videos or whatever. And then if you get together and speak or discuss, it's more about contextualizing it, discussing it, uh, applying it, things like that. That's all fine, and it, it does make sense. But again, there are going to be times where it's still useful and important to just give a talk. Um, you should view it as like, what is the value you're bringing to it that a person can't get out of a book or something? And it is generally about structuring and contextualizing the learning giving a framework, a way to think about it, which you as an expert uh, can impart to them in which they're not likely to get elsewhere because it's not a fact, it's an approach. 
So if you're gonna give a, a talk on something, I think one way to view your goal is that you wanna make it as efficient as possible. You wanna streamline it so there's as little fluff as possible. And what do I mean by fluff? I mean anything that is not directly resulting in your desired outcome, which is the learners to learn something new. You know, they, they walk out of the room, they go to, you know, practice clinically or eventually to do that or take a test or whatever. If you, something, you're doing something in your talk that is not directly causing that, then it's not necessarily a waste of time, but it is at least low yield. It's expensive. There are a lot of things you can do in your talk that are costly and expensive. And I, what I mostly mean is in terms of time. They take up a lot of time for little yield as far as the eventual learning. And I don't necessarily mean these things have no place. I just literally mean they're expensive. So if you're going to use them, you should understand how much you're, you're paying for it in terms of time. And you know, you may think time is not a good way to think about this, but I think it kind of captures all of the, the things that you're giving up. You do have a finite amount of time. There's also a finite amount of attention. And the reason people don't want to sit through a lecture half the time is because, you know, you look at them, they're, they're on their phone, they're on their computer, they're daydreaming, because there's just, it's not efficient. It's not dense. There's so much going on that is not uh, learning. And the learning is these little blips here and there, and then they tune in and then they tune out for it. That's why people say lectures are not good media. But you can improve that by tightening this up. So what are the kinds of things that are expensive for you to include? And again, I'm not saying you shouldn't do these. They may be necessary, um, and they may even be valuable. They may do really important things, but they are expensive. So you should be thoughtful and judicious about them. Examples. Uh, Anything that's about you and not about the material. So your name, your titles, your personal background, your stories. You know, people don't really care as much about you as you think. And this includes your personal experiences, you know, war stories, anecdotes, um, even, even data. Uh, from your kind of local institution or experiences. Now, again, you might say these personalized things, these engage people because uh, it, it gives color, it gives context. Again, that all may be true, but it's expensive. How much time do you spend telling that story to communicate what may be a single underlying point you had? Now, if the point's important, great but understand how costly it is. What else is expensive? Um, you know, kind of classroom fluff, uh, disclosures about conflicts of interest and so on, citations and references. You know, those fill up slides, they fill up your time. Giving credit to people. You know, I learned this from so-and-so, I read this somewhere, whatever. Again, you may have to do a lot of these things for ethical reasons, for regulatory reasons, but understand the learners probably don't care. Learning objectives. A lot of educators love these. And again, there can be an important role for them, but do you really think that your learners care all that much? And if you're gonna, you know, 
list your objectives at your start of a talk, how little time can you spend on this? If you spend three or four minutes reading your slide about all your objectives, when you know people are going to discover them as you go, because guess what? They're sitting here for your talk. Um, it, there's like nothing more boring. So can, you know, if you're going to do this, can you do it in like five seconds? <laughs> That's a good goal. Visuals, graphs, pictures. Again, these can be very valuable and rich things for engagement or for illustrating a concept, but they can take a lot of time and a lot of effort and are usually not um, communicating a ton of information. It's kind of maybe one point you wanted to make. Jokes, you probably think they're funnier than other people do. Again, they may lighten things up, but again, they're not really getting you to your objective. Historical background. You know, the, when this procedure was invented, the, the backstory to something, again, can be interesting, probably not as interesting to everyone else as you found it. Maybe there's one or two people in the audience who has that historical bent, but understand it's not really helping you get to your objectives here. Um, analogies or uh, frameworks or sort of mental set pieces that are, you know, kind of elaborate and built up. Again, these may be really important things to communicate a difficult concept, but they take a lot of time to construct, and you know it's it's not efficient. So, if you're doing a lot of this, you're really kind of taking your your time, uh, reiterating things that are obvious. I mean, I don't know how much time is spent in a lot of talks doing this. Like you already said it, now you're saying it a different way. You're kind of discussing around the same topic. People are smart; they get it. Can you move on? Now, look, you may be saying, this is the kind of stuff that I think makes a great talk. And again, there are times when that's true. Again, that, that classic TED talk, it may be exclusively about a lot of this stuff. It's about uh, a personal angle, kind of illustrating a, a concept. If people leave with just that one uh, you know, understanding and kind of changed on a personal level, you've achieved your goal, that's great. But if you need to give a talk on like, pharmacology and talk about like 10 drugs, you can't really give it that way. It's too inefficient and you won't get there. But that's also not saying that you have to give a very uh, boring, unengaging talk. It's about looking at the things you're doing and the tools you're using and are all of them worth what it's costing you. All right, so that's that point made. Let me make a few kind of related points. Number one, working with... Um, a set of ideas or material or an area of interest a lot may make you an expert in it, but it doesn't necessarily make it interesting or even relevant to anybody else. So this is the, the curse of getting a true subject matter expert to teach on something. They know a lot about it, but it's very likely they know things that are on a deeper level and really tangential to what the audience needs to know. And you're likely to overvalue the things you've been working with personally because you care about them. But that doesn't necessarily mean anyone else does. So you've been doing a bunch of research in particular areas that is pertinent to the topic. Of course, you're going to share your research and the avenues you've been going down. But is that exactly what this audience needs? Maybe, maybe not. If you think something is worth learning, show the learners why it is relevant to them. 
and cut it off, cap it when it no longer becomes relevant. And again, I mean not just, you know, there's zero relevance. Everything has some relevance, but it's no longer worth it. This has some tiny tangential relevance to these people. It's not worth me spending five more minutes on. Let's do something higher yield. Treat your material like uh, an editor would treat a book. Going through and taking out anything that can be removed and still preserve the message and the learning you're trying to communicate. So this could be anything from the slide you didn't need, the words you didn't need, to even in your own oration, you know, the classic ums and ahs and filler and those six sentences to say what one sentence could have said. This is all an example of fluff. People are listening much more efficiently, typically, than you're talking. You want to try to match those two. So people, you know, get what you're saying as soon as you say it, and then you move on. You don't want to outpace them, but I think it's much more common for most teachers to go the other way. They go too slow. And it's certainly in this modern age. People are, are thinking and listening uh, so much faster than they used to. How many people are listening to podcasts like this? Sped up. One and a half speed. 2x speed. They're like, everything's too slow for me, for my pace. I need to speed it up. Which, you know, goes for another point. You can just talk faster. Honestly, that alone as just like a, a blunt tool, more often than not will help you to keep things engaging and make them more efficient. Yes, talking slowly can be useful, but again, more often than not, you are, you're on the wrong side of the, the pace people want to hear you at. Make sure you are thoroughly prepared for your topic. You can't do a lot of the things we've said if you're kind of making it up as you go and uh, winging it because you're not going to be efficient. You don't know exactly what you want to say or how you're going to say it. So that's how you end up saying in 10 sentences what you could have said in one and beating around the bush and so on. Prepare what you're going to say, practice, 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 and boil it down to the specific, concrete teaching points you want to communicate. When you see someone teaching something and being sort of vague about the topic, and sort of discussing around it and painting a picture, but not necessarily communicating something you can actually take away, either they weren't prepared enough for it, so they weren't sure what they wanted to say, or they didn't understand it well enough. So they, they don't really get what the, the heart of it is they're trying to communicate, or nobody understands it well. It's a poorly understood area, so the kind of vague, broad points they're communicating are all that anybody knows, and that's fine. But if that's what you're teaching, make it shorter. There's, there is not a, a, a golden heart of learning to be had here, so you don't need to spend 10 minutes on it. Kind of paint a general picture, say this is a poorly understood area, and then move on. For those who listen to the podcast, um, you can, you know, start to look for some of the things we've talked about. So we try to keep things as tight as possible, so you don't hear a lot about who the guests are, we get introduce them in a sentence or two. We don't let the guests do that because they tend to talk too much. Um, we dive right into the case. We don't do a lot of intros, disclaimers, ads, blah, 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 just the things that we feel like we absolutely have to. And then we use a case format, right? That's kind of the whole heart of the scenario episodes. We use a hypothetical patient. Um, and that is, like I said, 
a expensive way to teach. We, you know, it takes a lot of time to build that framework, but we felt that was worthwhile because it really helps contextualize things, um, takes broad concepts and makes them more actionable. So, you know, we chose to, to use that tool, but understood that that's kind of the main thing that we're investing in here. Because we save time elsewhere, we're able to use it there. On the other hand, we have a lot of guests, uh, which allows us to get experts in an area, but it also means they're going to be variable as far as how thoughtful and well-spoken they are and how efficiently they can teach. So the episodes that may have some good content but may be harder to listen to are often uh, people who do a lot of kind of beating around the bush and speaking more vaguely, not as efficiently in what they can communicate, a lot of ums and ahs and things. The people who are good can just say in one sentence what communicates everything they want to say. Um, they're not always going to be prepared that we, we don't ask people to do that. It's not practical. So they are winging it. And you can, again, you can tell. And it helps the more expert they are. But ultimately, some people are just good at doing that and some are not. So you can see these concepts in play here. And you can see how a really ideal kind of learning presentation in this format and in so many others would be one that is in as few words and as little time as possible, communicating that good stuff you want to communicate um, without wasting people's time. Because people's tolerance for that is just so little these days. They will move on and learn in some other way or not at all. And that's what you don't want. Give it a try. Let me know what you think. I'll talk to you guys next time.